Thank you for listening to the official podcast of Everyday Church. We are a body of believers in Oklahoma City with the mission to live out our faith on a daily basis. Let's listen in as we hear a powerful message from God's Word. Religion, politics, football. These are three conversation topics that probably bring out the most passion out of people. Right, Because you could have people on both sides of the fence. They're so extreme in their belief and intensity of that belief on that topic. And then on the other side, there's the complete opposite, but yet the same amount of intensity or passion. Okay, They're, kind of, uh, they're bipolar in that sense. You have one side, you got the other side, completely different. But yet, when you bring those things together, it's very combustible. Right? I can remember on the Lord's Day, on a Sunday, I was serving uh, for a church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was on staff, and a day that is meant to be with your faith family and worship the Lord together, that uh, these two ministers were in the office, not just in a discussion. He in a discussion is even probably tame. It was a flat-out verbal spat filled with yelling at each other over... OU versus Texas football. Can you imagine this? On the Lord's Day, these two ministers who, who are been called by God to help serve this church and lead people to Jesus, understand the kingdom of God, and they're yelling over which program is better all time. And, and I remember witnessing this because I was one of them, and I was, the OU, I was on the OU side, obviously. And so I had this boss who, who uh, was on staff, and he was from Texas and a big Texas fan, and boy, he loved to irritate me, and I just had enough of it that day. And we literally were yelling at each other over football. How stupid is that, right? Of course I won the argument, but still, it was stupid to do. Now, these subjects, they bring out some passion, religion. People say, I'm not going to talk about it. Those are one of the forbidden topics, right? Well, you don't talk about religion with folks because of that. Or people say, we don't talk about politics around here because it can create the fight. And some of you probably ought to stop talking about politics because you are. You're getting a lot of fights over it, right? But this idea of football and us men, if we never talked about football, we wouldn't have anything to talk about. It'd be really weird and awkward. Hey, buddy. You know, we'd be like, we got to talk sports, right? So we're going to talk about it, and sometimes we get into a little fight. Now, as a church, we're talking about the subject religion. And some of you maybe even heard the title, and you're like, religion ruins everything. That seems really contrary to the cause of Christ. But actually, to help ease into this and to help us understand where we're coming from, let me give you a definition of religion. For some of you, this is going to catch you up to where we are. But religion, in context of this series, is a man-made path to God. Overarching, the idea of religion is to create your own road path to God. It is a man-made path, sort of like how Cass has been under construction forever. Man finally completed that path to the GP. We're so thankful that our road is back, right? That is a man-made path to here. Well, some people in their thought, why? I want to get to God. How am I going to get to God? Well, I've got to create this list this set of rules to follow so that God will be okay with me. And so for those that lend themselves to this idea of religion tend to be people that are trying to appease God through their effort. They're trying to get to God by stacking up their good deeds. And what we've unpacked in this series so far is that God's favor, God's salvation is not based upon anything we do. 
It's not on you. It's all about Jesus and Jesus coming to seek and to save those who are lost. He had a mission to come to us to make the path to God, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through Jesus. But religion comes in and says, no, no, it's about your good. It's very arrogant to think that you on your own can create this way to God. So religion in the context of which we're declaring and in its usage today is more about our good than it is about God. There's a, a huge theological problem, though, with that because our good is not good enough. In Isaiah 64, the Bible says we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, when we put them out there, when we're really good, they are nothing but filthy rags. Look, me and you, our good isn't good enough. It doesn't cut it with the king. And so God, to remedy that situation, sent his son Jesus to be our good. He sent Jesus to be the path to the Father. And so Jesus stood against the burden of religion. And then the religious hated him for it. They had bought the lie that to be okay with God, that, that they had to be perfect. They had to, their good must outweigh their bad. That for God to love them, they had to be faultless. And that God would only love them if they had all their stuff together. That God would only have favor upon them if they did A, B, and C and, and had the spiritual checklist. But God said, I'm going to send Jesus to change you, transform you from the inside out. That is the only way that you can be okay with me through my son, Jesus. And that's the most important part, that it's through Jesus. It's us in Jesus. See, through our faith and trust in Jesus, we now have entered into this incredible relationship that we have with God the Father through his son. So the only way that we can have a relationship with God, the only way we can know God is through this faith and trust in Jesus. And religion wants to ruin that because religion isn't about a relationship. Religion and relationships are really in conflict with one another. If you have a handout, I'll just want you to fill in a couple blanks here. They're on the seat or around you. But I want you to notice that relationship will reveal our true identity but religion will leave us with only a feeling of inferiority. Now, this is going to help us today. Relationship, okay? This relationship with God through faith and trust in Jesus will reveal our true identity. But religion will leave us with only a feeling of inferiority. You know that word. Inferiority means less important or less value. It can also mean that you act or you perform in a way that is comparatively poor or mediocre. That's what it is to have a feeling of inferiority. You feel less than, you feel less important or less valuable, or that you act in a way that would be mediocre or considered poor. When you think you're of low importance or less value, you tend to act that way. So when you think that you are less than, the reality becomes you act in a way that is less than. God never intended us to live our lives that way. Never did he want you to come and feel inferior, to, to live your life feeling that you are not valuable or that you are less than. He never intended for us to feel that we are some uh, substandard quality. That, found, that, that way of thinking has no foundation in truth. It's not from him, it's from the enemy. In fact, I would say this, the battle over sin starts in your mind, 
not in your behavior. Some people think, well, I'll just change the way I act without ever dealing with a mind. That is a lose-lose situation. The battle over sin starts in your mind, not in your behavior, because the way you think determines the way you feel, and the way you feel determines the way you act. And if you want to change the way you act, you've got to start changing the way you think first. Ephesians 4 says, Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, learned truth, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. See, you're not what you think you are, rather what you think you are. What you think is what you become. That's why you need the Spirit of God to come in and change how you think, to renew your mind, to change your mind. So let me ask you this question. Is it easier to be yourself or to be a Christian? It's easier to be yourself or to be a Christian. See, how you answer that reveals so much about our perspective. Why would we think that once we become a Christian, we can't be ourselves? See, God always intended for us to be liberated, free. The Son has set you free, you are free indeed. To discover who you really are, who he really made you to be. And so that's the question I want to tackle today. Who are you? Who are you Really, I believe a lot of Christians have adopted this false identity. This identity that, that uh, apart from Christ, that you're just barely making it. That, that even though you are a Christian, you still behave as though that Christ isn't in you. That he hasn't really changed you. And so a driving force for us today, you might even want to write it down. You can't consistently behave in a way that is inconsistent with the way you see yourself. So it's very important that we see ourselves correctly. You can't consistently behave in a way that is inconsistent with the way you see yourself. And I've been around enough people, even in this room, to know that a lot of us, we, we struggle with how we look. We struggle with how much money we make, we, we, we struggle with how many friends we have. And so I want you to think through this question. A couple weeks ago, or maybe last week, we did a, a, a t kind of a quiz. Just in your own mind, I want you to answer this on a scale of one to 10. 10 being 100% fully, one being not. How much do you think God accepts you? Fully 10 Somewhere in between one, oh, I'm not accepted at all. How much do you think God accepts you? Think about it. Come up with your number. If you place yourself anything under a 10, meaning that you're not fully accepted by God, you're going to have a hard time having intimacy with God. Because typically, we reject those who reject us. And so if you feel rejected by God, anything less than a 10, you're going to walk away. You're going to turn from him. Intimacy is being fully known without any fear of rejection. And so if you say, I am a 10, I know I'm fully accepted by God, then your intimacy will be vibrant and rich. But anything under that where you're not fully accepted, even if it's a 9 or a 1, if you're not fully accepted by God, the intimacy 
will be lessened because you feel rejected to some degree. And if you don't understand that you are fully accepted, then your relationship with him will struggle. This is one of Satan's most effective tools is to make us feel like well, God's frowning on you. And when we think that God's frowning on us, we don't have that intimacy that we need with him. And so these Christians that feel less accepted have this spiritually inferiority complex where we feel like we're just trying to serve God the best we can. Is this sinner saved by grace? We're just kind of plodding along here because we know we're screw-ups and fail-ups. I don't know if fail-up is a word, but we're just going to go with it. <laughs> More like fell down right? See, I'm not perfect either, but I can tell you, I'm fully accepted by God. But Satan wants you to think, well, he's frowning upon you, and you can't really approach the throne of grace with confidence. And so we become spiritually inferior because we're basing it upon our behavior or upon what we do, and the devil loves to trick us in that way. And it's not just him, it's our culture. Our culture pounds that in us over and over again. When you meet someone new, what do you typically ask? And I've had this question just even a couple weeks ago. I met someone new, and the first question they asked me is, what do you do? That is something we ask. Male, female, you meet someone, what, what you do? What's your job? What's your occupation? What are we doing there? We define people by what they do, not who they are. That's how we're defined. We're going to define that person by their job. We're basing their identity upon their performance, their behavior, what they do. And so when we talk about someone, it's old Nancy the nurse. It's Bob the builder. Can he fix it? Yes, he can. Dora the explorer. See, it starts young. By the way, Dora the explorer, I would have loved to have been a part of that creative meeting. <laughs> it's like we need something illiterate. You know, some sort of alliteration with Dora or something that rhymes. How about Explorer? <laughs> yeah, let's go with that, you bunch of alcoholics. No, Dora and Explorer, that doesn't rhyme. Unless you're from Boston, then it's like Dora the Explorer. Yeah, okay, it rhymes. Sorry. But we start even young. Those are even like kids' cartoons, you know? And, and it's all about, oh, it's about what you do. That's where your identity is. Our culture has taught us to define identity by behavior, by performance. But here's the newsflash for all of us. We're not always going to be a great builder. We're not always going to be a great nurse. We're not always going to be a great explorer. So that's why like former athletes that make it to the highest pinnacle of success in their sport... When that fades, when that goes, boy, they really struggle because their whole identity was wrapped up in the sport, in the competition, and what they could do with the ball. For all of us, it's, if you put your identity in looks, it's going to fade. In your prowess as, as a person, as, we all weak. It's all going to fail. But our culture puts that in us. It, it's about your performance, behavior, but behavior does not determine identity. Birth determines identity. It's not behavior that defines you and your identity. It is your birth. For example, I've on multiple occasions played with my kids and I got down on the living room floor and got on all fours and began to bark and to growl and to pretend that I was a puppy dog, an attack 
even bite, don't report me. I wouldn't bite. I'm a germaphobe, okay? And so, but I'd even stay away from my kids that way. But we pretend and we pounce and we play. And I could act like a dog all day and have fun with that. And the kids could laugh and I could laugh and we could have fun. But did that ever really make me a dog? No. I wasn't born a dog. I was born a human. My behavior did not define my identity, even though I pretended and was in their playland as a dog. But who I really was, was me, a human. And that's why Jesus said something that seemed so ridiculous at the time. In hindsight, we get it. But in the moment, if you could place yourself to hear it for the first time, you think, what in the world is he talking about? If you have a Bible, I want you to go to John chapter 3. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 3, I'll give you just a minute to, to find it. If uh, you have an app with you, use it. If you have a copy of God's Word, love it, use it. If not, of course, we'll have it on the screen for you. But we're here to get in the Word. In John chapter 3, we're going to see this man. Let's just start with verse 1. There was a man named Nicodemus. John chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader. He's all about religion, about making his way to God who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, just as a side note, he probably came to Jesus in the dark, one, out of genuine curiosity, but two, not to be seen by other religious leaders. He came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evident that God is with you. Verse three, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God, which seems like a curveball here that Jesus would say that. But Jesus knows he is a, a person of religion. He is trying to make his own path to God based upon his, his own righteousness. And so Jesus immediately goes to the source of the issue and says, listen, if you really want to see the kingdom of God, you're going to have to be born again. Now, you've maybe heard that phrase in Christian circles, but let's just... Pretend we're hearing this for the first time. Born again? Verse 4. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And who would want to? Right? Here he is, hearing this for the first time. Probably not you, but Nicodemus. Oh, Nick's like, what in the world are you talking about? Being born again? That's preposterous. Jesus replied, verse 5. I assure you, no one, he doubles down here, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. I think a physical birth and a spiritual birth. That's the only way you can enter the kingdom of God. Verse 6, humans can reproduce on the human life. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. He's telling him about this spiritual birth. Verse 8, the wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. Okay, In Oklahoma, we know about wind. He says, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Verse 9, how are these things possible? Nicodemus asked, which is a great question for us this morning. How is this possible? How can you have the Spirit? How can you be born again? How can you have eternal life? That's what he's asking. Jesus has set this up. You can't see the kingdom. You can't have eternal life without this new birth, without this Spirit. He's like, how? Okay, tell me. 
How do I have that? How do I get born again? In essence, is what he's saying. Verse 13, skip to verse 13. Jesus gets to the answer. No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. He's saying, I'm divine. I've come from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness. Now, if you don't know Old Testament here, this is going to be like, what? where'd that come from too? Seems like another curveball. Numbers 21, the Israelites were bitten by some poisonous snakes. They had grumbled against God. They had grumbled against Moses. And these poisonous snakes end up, in essence, being the wrath of God upon these people. But God gave them redemption. He gave them healing. He said, He told Moses, okay, this is how these people can be healed from these snakes. Make this, bronze, make this pole with a bronze snake, lift it up, and the Israelites who believe that this will heal them and save them, have them look to the pole, and they will be healed. They had to put their faith and look up. And so Jesus uses that story to say, that's about me. That story is me. And he says, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And he was on a cross. So that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Same thing. They were saved that way from their ailment. We're saved from ours by trusting in Jesus, that he can cure us and heal us of our sin problem. Verse 16, for this is how God loved the world. Why did he do it? Because he, he loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And so Jesus says, believing in me, this is before he goes to the cross, but he tells him, I'm gonna be lifted up. You look to me, that's how you're born again. That's the spiritual birth. That's the new identity that you receive in Christ. You are born again, a true spiritual life. Now, Paul and Timothy in writing 2 Corinthians say pretty much the same thing. In verse 17 of chapter five, they say, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ, put their faith and trust in Jesus, becomes a new person. Some translations say creation. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. So in Christ, same thing. You're born again. He says you'll be a new creation. What's the root word of creation? Create. That means he doesn't just improve upon you and makes you a better person. No, he makes you a new person. Like Genesis 1, he takes nothing and makes it something. You are brand new, new creation, new person. You, not, you are not the same person who you were before you gave your life to Jesus. Brand stinking new. Reset. Start over. Brand new. New life. Not just a better you, a new you. So let's talk. In light of that, who's the new you? Who are you? This is, listen, today, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, this is for those that have. And if you haven't, listen to who you become in Christ. But I want to talk specifically to those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. I want to help get your mind right today. If you have believed in Jesus, you put your faith in him, who are you? Number one, I'm going to make it very personal because I want us to repeat it to one another and just out loud. So the first one of who you are and who I am is I am a saint. So I'm going to say one, two, three, and I want you to say, I am a saint. One, two, three. I am a You're a saint. Turn to the person next to you and say, I am a saint. 
Now we're going to get a little church up in here. You know what I'm saying? Carly, did you say it? You chickened out, didn't you? Did you say it? Okay, all right, good. Josh was calling you out. Oh, he's saying you're not a saint. Now, Josh, listen, this is for you then, okay? <laughs> the Catholic Church has a five-step process where you are dubbed, deemed, called a saint. Two of those steps out of the five are performing a miracle. Listen, in Christ, you don't have to you don't have to do a miracle because you are the miracle. First Corinthians chapter 1 says, To the church, not a building, to a group of people, believers, to the church of God that is in Corinth, these believers in this town, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be, what? Saints. Called to be saints together with all those who in every place, even those in other places that have put their faith and trust in Jesus, Call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. We are saints. Now, I believe a lot of believers struggle with the same sin over and over again because they believed a lie. The, the deceiver has convinced them they're just nothing more than sinners saved by grace. No. You're a saint. You're not a sinner anymore. And we've talked about, we've unpacked, yeah. Apart from Christ, without Jesus, we, we're sinners. There is no doubt. I'm not arguing that. But I'm trying to implore you, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you're no longer a sinner. You're a saint. Jesus is at the core of your life. He has made you brand new. You have been born again. The sinner saved by grace spends a whole lot of time on defense against Satan. But the saint is on offense. The saint knows who they are. They've been redeemed. They've been set free they're a child of God. They are a saint. They have been set apart by God. You are holy. You are a saint. That's what being a saint is. It's recognized as a, you are recognized as a holy person. Don't be uncomfortable with that. You're a saint. Don't be uncomfortable calling yourself that. Not in arrogance, with great humility, not on our own, but through Christ. We're saints. Some of you probably don't remember, but back in the 80s, the NFL team, the Saints, who maybe have some Saints on there and maybe don't, but back in the 80s, they were not playing like Saints. They were very poor in their performance. And so you know what some of the fans did? In their embarrassment and shame of the team, they referred to them as the Aints. And they would put these brown paper bags over their face and attend the games. In fact, just recently, this fan did this as a throwback he says throwback jersey. But they would go to the games and they would take out the S and they would be called ain'ts. They were embarrassed. They were ashamed. Listen, follower of Christ, you have nothing to be embarrassed about. Be proud of what Jesus has done. You are a saint. You were an ain't, but now a saint. Rejoice in your sainthood. I am a saint. Secondly, I am God's work of art. I am God's work of art. I'm going to count to three, and you're going to say, I am God's work of art. One, two, three. I am God's work of art. Turn to someone and say, I am God's work of art. Now, if you want to flirt with someone, tell them, you are God's work of art. <laughs> Ephesians 2.10, you are probably familiar with this verse. Is for we are God's masterpiece. Some translations say workmanship. He has 
created us anew. Okay, again, created anew in Christ Jesus. Why? So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago, and we'll unpack that next week. But this word masterpiece or workmanship is a Greek word, poema. It it is where we get our word poem. It simply means that God has made you a heavenly piece of poetry. You are his work of art. See, the reason that you have value is because of what God says about you, not because of what other people say about you. Your value cannot come from the fickleness of people or friends. Our value comes from what God says. And God says you are his masterpiece, a heavenly piece of poetry. Many people lack self-esteem. They don't feel good about themselves. And they're always trying to pump themselves up with the kind of clothes they wear or the kind of car that they drive or or the things that they even put online or or social media. And they're trying to present themselves like, oh, I'm so cool. But yet inside there is such a lack of self-esteem. And they're trying to feel better about themselves because they really don't accept themselves, which is rebellion against God. If God wanted someone else, he would have made somebody else. But he made you. You wouldn't exist if he didn't want you. But he made you. He created you. And he made you a work of art. And so real self-esteem comes from three facts. Number one, God created you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 139. God created you. Uniqueness, one of you, who you are, divinely made you. Secondly, Jesus died for you. In Romans, it tells us that God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. See, before we were saints, we were sinners, filthy sinners, scarred and marred by sin. And Jesus still died for you. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. We just read in John 3. But God demonstrated his love that even though you did not deserve it, I did not deserve it, Jesus still was sent to die on a cross and take upon the wrath of God our sin, pay the price and penalty and the punishment of sin. Jesus died for you. That should give you great self-esteem, and then God's spirit lives in you. The Bible says that we are, for those in Christ, have become a temple of the living God. The spirit is given to us as a deposit guaranteeing the return of Christ. God has dwelled within us. For God to dwell in you is a big deal. And we should never take that lightly or for granted and should press into that. But God has come to set up shop within you. And you have become a temple, a tabernacle, moving amongst this world, housing the Spirit of God. Pretty crazy to think about. God says, you're my poem, you're my masterpiece. I don't want you to copy somebody else, be somebody else. I've given you certain gifts. I've given you your heart, your personality, your experiences. I want you to use them for my glory and for the good of others. You have worth because of what God says about you and what he has done for you. He has sought after you. He has pursued you. You have worth because the one true God has made you. And you're not just wanted, you're needed. You're needed in the life of this church. God has given you unique gifts and skills and abilities, and you need to use that with your faith family. God has given you a circle of influence that he wants you to use and further his kingdom. God made you. He didn't create you to sit, soak, and sour. He made you to be on the move, to make a contribution with your life. And you're needed. Every role is important. You might be a hand. 
We need a hand. We need a foot. We need an ear. We need an eye. We need a nose. We need you. You're important. You have value because God says so. And he paid a large ransom for your life by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. You and me were God's work of art. Third, I am righteous. Believer, you need to get your mind right and hear this today. I am righteous. One, two, three. Turn to someone and say, I am righteous. You know, back in the day, my father-in-law is here. He probably used to say that, righteous. You know, that was kind of a cool saying to say, righteous. You know, you'd bust a surfboard trick or something. I don't know. But righteous was kind of the cool word to say. Well, in Christ, we have been declared righteous. Romans 5, 17 says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace. And his gift of righteousness, who gets the gift? For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. There's the gift of righteousness for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus. Your spirit was filled with righteousness at salvation. And when you're not behaving righteously, you're just not acting like who you are. It doesn't change it that you aren't because you have been declared righteous. The righteousness of Christ has been given unto you in Christ, your faith and trust in him. It's kind of like the old prince or princess movie. They're teenagers and they all want the normal teenage life. They want to go to the pizza party and go to school without the bodyguards and without the pomp and circumstance to being a prince or princess. And so they try to sneak off and they go do that. But soon they're going to be found and they come back to being the royalty that they are. Just because they weren't acting like royalty did not make them not royalty. They were royalty the whole time. We might not always act righteous, but you have been declared righteous, even while we have access to God, not because of any good you've done. See, if you base your access to God on how good you've been, that's going to be hit or miss. One day you might be okay, doubt it, but you might think you're okay, and the next day you're like, I can't come to God, boy, I really screwed up today. It's not based on your righteousness. It's based on the righteousness of Christ. Okay? The prince or princess identity never changed or behavior maybe didn't or did, but our identity is in who we are in this new creation we've been created to be is righteous. And again, through this series, we've said it's not our own self-righteousness. It's not about our righteousness. Paul put it this way. I love what he said in Philippians 3. He said, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake... I've discarded everything else, counting it all as rubbish or garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Look at verse 9 here. I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. If you're counting on your own righteousness by doing good things, he says, rather, I become righteous, how? Through faith in Christ. Listen, you ain't going to be righteous any way else except faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on what? Faith. Your faith and trust in Jesus. Not on, listen, the Bible does not say, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on how good you've been today. Listen, over and over again. It has nothing to do with how good you've been. Depends on faith. I'm righteous because he gave me righteousness. That's it. Lastly, I am 
fully accepted by God. I am fully accepted by God. This is huge for us as we move forward. I am fully accepted by God. Ephesians 1 says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ. We have all that because of being united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us, chose us in Christ to be holy without fault in his eyes. That's us, in Christ, that's who we are. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ, no other way except through Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. Listen, you don't have to change a thing to be fully accepted by the Father because it's not based on what you do, but on who you are. And I get it. Some of you are like, but I don't feel like a saint. I don't feel like a work of art. I don't feel righteous. I don't feel holy and accepted. But you got to decide, are you going to live your life on feelings or truth? Feelings come and go. Are you going to go by what you feel or what you know? The word of God declares all these things are true about your identity. You got to change the way you think. You got to know the truth. You got to lean into the truth. Satan's going to whisper to you, well, you, you got to act like the new creation. And that seems so right. It makes sense, but it's deadly. Because God didn't say, act like the new creation. He said, you are a new creation. He did the work. He gives you everything you need. He's the one that transforms you. That's where identity comes from. From what he has done, the new birth he has given us. Okay, no one looks at a, a beautiful thing like this and say, Let's see this picture. It says, wow, look, that's a beautiful, converted, worm-like insect. No one says that. Look at that worm-like insect, what it used to be. No, there's a new birth, and it's a beautiful butterfly. And we don't see it in terms of what it used to be, but in terms of what it is. God has made you a new creation. Of course, that doesn't mean that, that you're going to live without sin, but when you sin now, you understand it's foolishness, and you understand it's inconsistency. And you know, I'm not a worm, I'm a butterfly. Why would I live like a worm? And there's conviction there. There's not condemnation, there's conviction. And you say, why, why am I not acting and being the saint that I am? Why am I not being God's work of art? Why am I not living out of the righteousness of Christ that dwells within me and has covered me and given me access to the Father? Why am I not pressing in knowing that I'm fully accepted by God? I'm not a worm. I'm a butterfly. And so you live your life in that truth. Be who you are. In Christ, I'm a saint. In Christ, I'm his poem, masterpiece. I'm righteous. I'm fully accepted by him. Let's pray together. Michael, if you just kind of come up and play a little underneath here. If you just close your eyes for a second, I want to get you in a spirit where you can voice a prayer to God this morning. Listen, you could pray your own prayer and your own words and, and probably end up at the same place, but I want to help you today. Now, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, 
in a minute, we'll have these baskets come by, and there's these connect cards. Would you just put on there, like, hey, I want to have that conversation. I don't know what it means to follow Jesus, and I just want to talk with someone, or you can even stop me today. I would love to have that conversation, or we can get together this week, and we can talk about what it really means to follow Jesus. But if you're in this room today, and you would say, man, I know I've given my life to Jesus, but maybe you haven't been living as the butterfly that you are. I'm going to have a prayer on the screen, and you can look at it even now. I'm going to read this prayer, and I'm not just reading it. I'm praying it even myself. And as I read it, and you can read it, but I'm going to read it just so we know. There's a couple, there's three slides, I believe, to this. And so I want you to pray this in your heart if this is your heart as well. And so I'm going to pray this, and you can pray it with me. Lord, I affirm that I'm not defined by my abilities, my roles, or my accomplishments. At my deepest places, I'm not my behaviors, my feelings, my choices, my personality quirks, my virtues, or my vices. I'm not defined by how much I succeed or what other people think of me. At the core of my spirit, I'm not my job. I'm not my awards or honors. I'm not my resume. I'm not my bank account. I'm not my possessions. Lord, I affirm the reality of my soul's true identity. I'm yours. God created for union with you. In my deepest place, I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I'm precious in your eyes. I'm fully pardoned of my guilt and fully accepted by you. I am your child, beloved by you for eternity, and held in your everlasting embrace. That's who I truly am. I'll let you have a minute with the Lord. God, we love you. Thankful for the transformation that can only take place by your hand. Of course, we put our faith in you and trust in you. Humbly receive the gift of salvation, righteousness. Thank you for grafting us into the vine. Adopting us as your children. And receiving the new birth that you've given us. Of course, God, may our lives reflect that. That we're children of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Why would we want to be anything else? Why would we want to go back to an orphan? 
thank you for calling us home. Thank you for setting us free. Thank you for being our Abba Father. Thank you for creating us and calling us your masterpiece. Calling us a saint, righteous, fully accepting us. We lean in, press in, And Lord, when we don't feel like it, pray you change our minds. We'd no longer conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds and be clothed in our true nature, the nature of Christ. Thank you for an incredible morning together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is Pastor John. Thank you so much for listening to the Everyday Church Podcast. For more information on us or if you happen to make a spiritual decision during this message, please let us know and go to our website, www.everyday.church. There's an email link that you can click on, and we would love to hear from you. If there's anything going on that has happened during this message, if the Lord has spoken to you or you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Also, if there's a prayer request or concern, then you can email us, and we would love to take the time to pray for you and respond in any way that we can. Again, thank you so much for listening. God bless.